In episode 62 of MobiCast, we recap another DockerCon 2019 session. This one focuses on Practical Istio by Zach Butcher. Welcome to MobiCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Hey, so, Rich, we've missed you for a couple of weeks. What have you been up to? We are in full-on hiring mode. We're hiring a account manager from the agency world. He'll be part-time, hopefully full-time eventually, and at least one, but probably two more developers. So it's it's been a, a crazy sort of whirlwind for me. I'm not really sure what I'm doing, and I just feel like I'm bouncing around from thing to thing, just trying to keep everything afloat. So it's been a challenging <laughs> couple of weeks. Well, if you're listening and you want to work with Rich, which I think would be a good idea, even though he says he doesn't know what he's doing, um, <laughs> you know where to reach us. You can just go to mobicast.fm and you can get to us that way. For sure. Uh, yep. How about you, Chris? We talked last week. Anything new? Yeah. You know, um, after a really busy spring traveling, it's kind of nice now. I've got a, a bit of a breather here and get to kind of like just stay at the office for, for a few weeks before the next trip. So just kind of hunkering down and getting some stuff done. Nice. Yeah, as for me, I've been talking on the show quite a bit about how I got back into development and, you know, did this and that with serverless and AWS. And now I've switched from building that proof of concept to doing some wireframing wire based on that proof of concept. And I've got to tell you, for me, I mean, I don't honestly know if there if there is a one thing more difficult than the other. But for me, wireframing is harder because I just can't stay focused on it. I can get like 10 good minutes out of myself and then I'm like finding myself on Twitter. So pretty hard to stay like people that are good at wireframing and can do it for eight hours straight. Wow, I'm impressed. But it's fun. It's still fun. And I forced myself back into I'm using Adobe XD, which is kind of interesting. I think I like Sketch better, but I wanted to use something that wasn't tied to the the dying world of Mac. <laughs> Throwing a little controversial statement. I'm not going to bite. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, last week we talked about service meshes and I argued and argued with Chris because I was just trying to get my head around it. And sometimes that's how I get my head around things is by questioning their very existence. And this week we're going to stay on the topic of service meshes and get more specifically into Istio, which we we just kind of hinted at last week. And I think this this comes from another talk from DockerCon 2019. This one is from, would you mind just saying who this is from, Chris? Yeah, this was, this was a talk titled Practical Istio by Zach Butcher, who is a founding engineer at Tetrate. Cool. Yeah, so this one is, this is kind of a departure for us because I don't really, as we mentioned last week, I don't really see us getting the type of project at Kelsys that would need a service mesh. I don't even know that we would we would want it because we we kind of have a, a sweet spot in the you know middle to low you know lower end of the of the like scalability spectrum. So we're not we're not trying to to get to 10, 20, 30, 100 million users for the projects that we're do, we're doing. And I think you actually even could without Istio or without a service mesh. So we're not we're just not building stuff of the level of complexity that would need a service mesh at point. And we're not trying to because you know then it'd be hard for us to scale as a company. So you even though we're not trying to do this, it really is something that is a topic that a lot of people are interested in. And I think just as developers, it's really interesting to know about what these super high scale companies 
contend with and what they work with. And then I think for a lot of listeners, they might think that they're missing out by not using a service mesh or that, you know, it's part of the DevOps journey is to, you know, go to microservices and then, and, you know, infrastructure as code and then eventually a service mesh. So let's talk about what Istio is all about. And then people can make the decision for themselves of whether it makes sense for the organization. How about an overview, Chris? Yeah. So, so with that, maybe it's good to kind of just revisit a bit from the last episode of just what a service mesh is um, and the benefits of it. So again, we kind of, you know, TLDR, it's a communication backplane for your services. We said it didn't have to necessarily be container specific or microservice specific, but for the most part, it it definitely is associated with, with microservice architectures and container architectures just because its value increases with the number of moving parts that you have in your system. And again, the the three main things that the service mesh is giving you are, are centered around traffic management, security, and observability. And so keeping those things in mind as we go and talk about now an actual implementation of a service mesh, which is Istio. So Istio is an open source a project. It's platform agnostic and kind of interesting in that the, you know, it first hit the scene, the version 0.1, if you will, came out in 2017. So, you know, an entire two years ago. Quick interruption, Chris. It was announced at GlueCon, which I'll be attending. I'll be at GlueCon while you, dear listener, are listening to this. I'll, I will be at GlueCon next week, but you'll be listening to it while I'm there. So a little shout out to GlueCon, one of my favorite conferences. Cool. And then, uh, you know, after a year at, at 0.1, um, hit 1.0 the following year. So very quick adoption in the in the community. Lots of effort around it and just make a lot of people were attracted to this. They... You know, we, we talked about the, th- the three main benefits, the traffic management, the security, and, and just dealing with, with observability as well. Um, all those really resonated with folks with microservice architecture. So I think, you know, there's a lot of activity here. A lot of people want to contribute to it. So very quick growth. It, it is optimal. So Istio is definitely optimized for Kubernetes. And it has grown in complexity, of course, as, 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 it, as, it, as, it, as it evolves. So sure. just talk kind of... Oh, yeah, sorry to interrupt, Chris. I, I was just thinking, you know... Couple of things you just mentioned there just struck me because you know as we're sitting here saying oh well we probably won't do this and and you can build systems without this that support many many users it's interesting just that how how quickly it's been adopted and and how it goes hand in hand with Kubernetes and I I don't know what that means but my guess is that it either means hey there are a lot of big companies with really complex systems that that were just you know needing some solution to this because they just have people building you know the security and, and observability and other pieces of their architectures over and over and over again, and they're just tired of it and they need one place to manage all that. Or, and this is a little more controversial, there's you know DevOps and operations teams sort of with time on their hands and desire to build something cool and big, and they're doing it. They're just like, hey, this is where we're going, uh, whether we really need it or not. That's, maybe that's happening. I'm sure it's happening at least a little bit, but but my goodness, you know, for something that's as big as this, to get such quick adoption, it's kind of interesting to think about why yeah i mean and i think we've kind of touched on this before and i mean at the end of the day developers in general are attracted by by shiny things and Mm -hmm. so you know something's new and hot um definitely something to go to go look at evaluate and you know start using and whatnot so there is definitely a difference between kind of like doing a proof of concept or or evaluation or kind of small scale implementation type thing versus like really like this is something that you need and it's in production and you know really being used 100 percent 
I mean, same is true with Docker, right? Like I'm always blown away by going to these DockerCon conferences and seeing like one, the number of people that are new to Docker, Docker, which is always kind of like a, um, a very high percentage. And then two, the the relatively few amount of folks that are using it in production. So right, right. Um, there is there is a there is definitely a bit of a gap there between kind of saying you're using it, playing around with it, even contributing to it um, versus actually having a very viable need for it and using it as part of like just what you need to run your your production environment. Right. Um, so um, and, and again, I mean, we, we talked about how service mesh, meshes in general, as you have much larger systems, they become almost a necessity. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't get value out of them with smaller systems. Um, some folks may very well get value out of them with smaller systems. It's just they have decided they've decided to make the trade off of putting in the time and effort to do the to to deal with the learning curve. Maybe they do have a separate ops team that can kind of help out and take take this thing full time. Um, right. So right. different different subsets. Cool. All right. Onward. Right. And then again, maybe just again to point out like Istio is one of the implementation implementations of the service mesh. Um, there are others out there. So things like AWS has App Mesh. You have things like Console um, from HashiCorp. So there are Linkerd. Um, there's other implementations out there, but Istio by far is the um, kind of the most dominant, the one that you'll hear about. I think a big part of that too is it's it's based around the Envoy proxy, and the Envoy proxy was I, I believe was like the first component that was there. It wasn't necessarily Istio specific, I don't think, and people were using that. And I think that's a, a kind of a bit of a, a gravity well that led to the dominance, if you will, of, of Istio. So with that, maybe we could talk talk a little bit about the components of, of Istio and just how it's architected. And so there's so in the in this talk by Zach, again, it was kind of this is kind of all about Istio, kind of like the practical knowledge that you need, you know, how it's architected, and then some some use case scenarios. So as part of that talked about the five five main components of Istio. And so the first one is Envoy. So we've talked about this a bit. This is the proxy that sits that sits beside your app, right? So this is that sidecar deployment. And as we talked about last week with um, service meshes, your your software is not talking directly to the rest of, of, of your other software components. Instead, it's it's talking to proxy, and then the proxies are talking to the other corresponding proxies, which then forward it on to the actual software, right? So it's all proxy to proxy communication, and that's where the mesh is basically implemented, right? So Envoy is that proxy, so that's a key component of Istio. The um, next component is Galley, um, and so. The, by the way, this is, I think, uh, you made reference, John, last week, to uh, uh, like all these <laughs> weird, weird nautical names, right? For, for right. so we're going to get into it here. So Galley is the the admin, the UI tool to configure the the control plane, right? So this is the basically the management management UI. So that's Galley. Pilot is used to configure the sidecar proxies. Right, so I, this is what's responsible for propagating the configuration that's defined in your system, you know, via Galley, um, and get it out to all the basically the Envoy proxies that are in your that are in your system. So that's Pilot. The fourth component is Mixer, and so Mixer is responsible for basically enforcing policy as well as capturing telemetry. And so when your when the Envoy proxy receives request, 
it's going to consult with Mixer to do the policy checks to verify whether or not that request is allowed to then be sent on to the actual underlying piece of software um, that it's proxying for. So that's Mixer. And then the fifth is called Citadel. And Citadel is basically responsible for security. So it's doing um, things like assigning X509 identities. It's responsible for enabling secure communication. And specifically, it is built on top of the Spiffy uh, standard. So those are the five major components of, of the Nistio deployment. So again, not lightweight at all, right? I mean, this is, this no. is definitely a, um, a complicated system. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, I mean, just one sort of comment about all these components is that it does it does seem like some of them are all about authentication, authorization, and security. And yet, it's pretty well established that if you are running Kubernetes, you, you're best off making sure that the workloads that Kubernetes is running wouldn't it wouldn't be a horrible thing if there got to be some you know cross data or some data you know like basically keep your customers separated don't put two different customers that are not allowed to see or two different you know workloads that are not allowed to know about each other like off the same kubernetes so it's it's just kind of interesting to me from that perspective it's like a lot of work around security and yet the underlying thing that it's running on can't really be trusted yeah i mean things like that get get handled with things like placement policies right well when running when running like containers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess just the, the consensus right now is that if you're running containers and you're running them all and they can talk to each other and they're, and they're all on the same network, that they should be, they should be, oh, I don't know the word for like workloads that are sort of complementary, but that's what they should be. They should not be workloads that are, you know, I wouldn't want to run Apple's workloads on the same Kubernetes cluster as Microsoft's at this point. Yeah, I mean, and this, this definitely kind of touches in on just security and containers and, and how that works. But, you know, Mm -hmm. definitely like um, segregating workloads of your containers to kind of break them up into categories, right? So like you might have some very sensitive applications that are like security is paramount and they don't need access to the open internet. And so you may run those on a on a certain subset of your of your cluster. You might not run them alongside like a, a, a front end application that's talking to the world, right? With, with mm-hmm. open ports. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So yeah, I guess just to kind of put a fine point on what I'm saying is like a lot of work around routing and security, and but that doesn't mean it's secure. It doesn't mean it's like oh yeah, this is like a platform as a service. Just go run whatever on it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, security is a multi layer cake for sure. Right. 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 So this is this is more at the infrastructure, the the communication level of making sure that you have encrypted communication channels and you can cryptographically verify the identities of the players. But you have many layers above that. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just dealing like who's allowed to talk to who. How do you do you have multi-tenant issues, uh, placement of, of workloads? You have, we talked about at, at Infinitum about just like CVEs and OS hardening and everything else. So that's all definitely a part of it. And this is, this is just a piece for sure. Sorry, remind me what CVE stands for? It's the refers to vulnerability list. So as, and I forget, I, I, I forget exactly what the acronym stands for, right? But CVEs are when publicly disclosed security violations or, or vulnerabilities uh, are found in, in software products, right? And so there's CV database out there so like the, oh there's something found in the fedora distribution of linux in this particular package or there's a issue with um you know tls 1 1.0 right there's a cd for that type of thing cool cool so so after kind of like going over the major like components in the architecture of istio 
Zach and then kind of went into a little bit about just how this all works. And we've kind of touched on this, but just to kind of like make it a bit clearer, you know, at the end of the day, like the Envoy proxy, that's responsible for, for making, um, for intercepting these requests that are, that are destined for the, the software that they're, that they're proxying. And it's doing that either via IP tables or BPF configuration, right? So playing around with, with, with namespace. And once it intercepts a request, it's going to go and it's going to look at that request and determine what the new destination should be. So that's, and that's going to come from a routing table that was pushed by pilot. So that's that component that's responsible for propagating the configuration to the sidecars. So the, the receiving proxy, again, is going to consult the policy that's been defined in the system via making the call to mixer. And then if that, if that calls, if, if, if that policy check passes, then it's going to send it to the destination application. And then as part of this, both those proxies will then report telemetry to mixer. And so now we have insight into, we can have insight into both the caller and the callee, get information for them. Um, it's now actually, I mean, it's also positive. It, the default behavior now is actually only to report the the um, the caller, the server side telemetry, but you can configure it so you can see both sides of that as well. So, so you get. I think, that, I, I think that I and our listeners would benefit from just telling us what telemetry means because I think that's you know what that is the word that gets thrown around at conferences by smart people and nobody ever asks what it means. So, so telemetry. I mean, just think metrics, right? It's just data about what's going on in your system. So telemetry is is just any kind of data point. So in this particular case. Telemetry in this example just means the fact that like, oh, this particular call was made between these two components. So there's a source, there's a destination, there's going to be information there about how long that took. There's information about whether it was successful or not. So all that information, just telemetry, right? It's a stream of of, of events. Um, you can think of this as, I think, kind of comes from even more common, like in like satellite communication, right? You're getting telemetry mm-hmm. from satellite and it's just a feed of data, right? The, the data packets are coming through and you're getting information about what's going on. Well, um, I think that's probably what is intimidating about that word is like, that's complicated. It's telling me your position in the sky through some sort of long feed, like that that's hard stuff. But in software, it's just like, oh yeah, whatever data you got, let me just send it to you. That's telemetry. So I, I just think it's kind of funny that such a hard core concepts uh, in terms of like understanding satellite positioning has been turned into in the computer science world. It's like logging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and, and so a lot, you know, telemetry could be, could be partially logging. It could be metrics. It could be everything. And that's probably one of the reasons why, why we use it. It's just because it's a catch-all. Right. Um, well, but I think it kind of also gets back into something that we just have been touching on in these episodes a little bit and just kind of keep coming back to, which is this is hardcore, fancy computer programming, and it uses hardcore, fancy words like telemetry and com- control plane, and you know words that like until until somebody says, "Oh, well, it's just this simple thing," will make conversations about it opaque. And that is that is like it's a magnet for certain people. Let me mm-hmm. let me get into that. Let me understand that opaque stuff, and so that I can speak that same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no. I mean, there's a whole lingo to it, I, and yeah. it's constantly evolving, right? So you'll hear things. I mean things like single pane of glass um Mm -hmm. you know we talked about last time how like hadn't heard the term before of brownfield like Mm -hmm. it's it's constantly evolving and 
you know, someone someone comes up with with that name, they they do a talk or they write a blog post or write a paper, it kind of catches on and the Twitter world takes it and runs with it or whatnot. And it's just something you have to add to your dictionary. And yeah, it's not <laughs> it's it's not the um C Dick Run, um C Jeanette, <laughs> um, right. type lingo, right? Like it's and this is not a slight on Zach at all, because I think he's doing a service by, you know, not only understanding this and giving this talk, but making it, you know, helping people get over the hump, like explaining how SEO works is is sort of drudge work for people that already know how SEO works. So that's mm-hmm. that we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, I think this talk was a black belt level talk as well. Uh-huh. So definitely not an introduction. So, yeah, so that, that's basically at the at the end of the day, like how Istio works. So really it's it's the envoy proxies are are doing the bulk of the work they're consulting the configuration that's coming from that's coming from pilot to figure out how they should do their routing and and the, and whatnot the mixer is responsible for making sure that the the rules for what's allowed to talk to what is is followed so kind of more on the authorization side and then Citadel is enforcing the the authentication in the system. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, as we talked about last time, just spinning up a, a Kubernetes cluster and, and putting Istio on that. When uh, when we did that in the, in the previous the previous talk, it was it was something like fifty nine containers were spun up just to get Istio up and running. So pretty 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 complicated system. Yeah. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So after, after we kind of talked about the components and, and how it worked, you know, then kind of went through a couple of demos. So pretty fast-paced you know, just typing at the laptop type thing, showing what you can do with Istio. And they basically, they, they fell, these demos fell into, you know, demonstrating two main things. One was, the first demo was, hey, I have two clusters and now I want to do load balancing across those clusters and selectively, like I can route all traffic to just one cluster instead of to both and vice versa. And you can all do that via via Istio um, and core DNS um, extensions that, that Istio supports. And all of this was done without things like uh, VPNs or pair, peered networks, no issues with, um, and, and it all actually used public IP addresses. So each one of these clusters had public IP addresses as the egress point into them. And, okay, so egress, in, in, in the fancy lingo again, egress, actually, it's... it's um, I, I was thinking you might mean ingress? Yeah, it's actually ingress. Yep. So there, there, is, there, is a, there is a corresponding egress proxy as well. But, so ingress means inbound traffic, egress basically outbound. And so for both these clusters, for ingress traffic, they had a public IP address that kind of, that's how you talk to that particular cluster. And then after that, the service mesh and Envoy managed everything else. And so you could have cluster to cluster traffic, cross cluster traffic over the internet via these public IP addresses, which is kind of nice in that now you don't have to worry about things like CIDR range conflicts as you're building out your your mm-hmm. your backend systems, right? So mm-hmm. so that was the that was the first demo and kind of just again pretty much just like all you have to really do is go in and change some co- configuration to around the naming in the system. And Just uh, I also I realized side range conflicts. What that means is if you have your two different clusters and 
say there's a computer in each of them that both have the IP address 10.10.0.5, that's fine. It wouldn't normally be fine if you were actually connecting those two networks together, then you'd have a you'd have an IP address conflict. But if you put Istio between them, sounds like no problem. Yep, indeed. So so that was the first demo. And then the second demo was kind of showing like how you can um, use something like Istio to help you do a common the common task of decomposing a monolith with a facade type architecture, right? So this is basically, you know, the idea is you're going to decompose your monolith by slicing off functionality into new microservices. And you can do that by having this, this, this routing facade that can now do host or path-based routing so that when requests come in, the callers don't need to know, oh, is it the monolith or is it the microservice A or B or C? You know, all that is part of this, this routing intelligence and it can handle that. And so that's what this demo was, was basically about. This is really similar to the, the host and path-based routing that um, AWS application load balancers give us. So like super similar, if not like identical um, in functionality, but that's just one of the things that something like Istio can give you that kind of functionality. So pretty that's powerful. What I've been thinking about through a lot of this talk is that a lot of the features that you get are sort of features that we rely on AWS for, for a lot of the work that we do, like ALB path-based balancing. You know, it seems like Istio is sort of like a, at some level, it's just sort of like a super smart load balancer. And so, you know, AWS is also building pretty darn smart load balancers. So if you don't need one that's like, that can sort of know your whole system and know how to route things things based on really, really intricate rules, then AWS, and and you're allowed to use AWS's tools, then then they'll take you a long ways. But if you can't use AWS's tools, if you're on-prem or if you're, you know, some across clouds or or just basically have a CIO that won't allow you to do things that would cause you to get locked in, then Istio starts to look really nice. Yeah, and then again, remember, keep in mind like these service meshes, like they're pretty comprehensive and, you know, the, the features kind of break out into those, those three categories. So traffic management, security, and visibility. So, you know, traffic management, if that's really what you're using it for, like there are, you can, you can just sub out alternatives for that, right? So whether it be load balancers and from AWS, then fine, that might be what you need. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, quite, a, quite a bit of this, I mean, almost all this stuff has, has analogies, right? And analogous services that you can go and, and, and use. So you can, you can kind of build your own equivalent service mesh just by like, you know, a la carte by going and picking and using other services as well. Right. Uh, but option. any other ones that you choose feel like they're more locked into this. Like this, this is so, totally open source, covers every single thing that you can possibly think of and works anywhere, anywhere where you can have computers talking to each other. So I can, I get that that is pretty enticing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and that's a whole nother, whole nother world out there. There are people that are definitely have that as part of their requirements, right? They, they need to run on open source software and they need to be able to run, you know, in various cloud provide public cloud providers as well as private, you know, they on-prem. Um, and so something like Kubernetes and, and Istio ends up being like almost like that's what they have to do, um, mm -hmm. right? To stay agnostic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, SEO also feels like this conversation has also caused me to think of another conversation we had about AWS taking over or taking on uh, big open source projects and running running them as managed services. And just the very nature of what SEO is, is sort of like a, you know, I can't remember the words that you used at the beginning, but it's essentially like a, you know, a controller of your entire deployment, a, a thing to manage your entire deployment with. It's sort of like antithetical for AWS to do that, right? Because that's what they are. 
So why would they why would they do that? It's sort of like, oh, don't use any of our tools, use this. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. And AWS also has their own service mesh. So so Istio does seem to be an open source project that's maybe a little bit, you know, well positioned to not get the AWS treatment. Yeah, I mean, like we uh, so you know, AWS has app mesh and, and that's basically what they're giving you is the envoy proxy. And it is for their container system, so ECS, EKS, and and whatnot. But the rest of the like, there's no pilot, right? There's no Citadel type thing. So it's really kind of using it for the that communication control plane and doing the service to service communication and really focusing on things like service discovery and and what. So again, when you have lots of containers, just Service discovery is actually a very big pain point in AWS, and they 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 have several different initiatives there in that space. And so this is one of those things that you know they're 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 offering um, as a service for folks. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to run through the the sort of conclusion around traits of su- successful mesh adopters? Yeah. So after giving these two demos, you know, it, the kind of as a conclusion was just like pointing out like what are the traits of successful of people that are successful adopting service meshes. And so this is, you know, given the folks that Zach's worked with, this is what he's, what he's, you know, the, the commonalities that he's seen. So the first point that he made was that they're focused on a single pain point. So not you know, trying to squeeze every feature out of Istio on, on the gig, at the get go. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, as we talk, this is a very big, huge, complicated system. So you know, pick one specific thing that hurts the most and use the mesh to only solve that problem. Right. So. You know, like if that. it's if it's service discovery that is your pain point, then just really focus on that. If it's, hey, I really want to have um, mutual TLS communication between all my containers, then you know focus on that. Don't go and try to try to um, swallow it whole from from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first the first um, tip. The second one was um, have a, a small group of that's champion is the, the are that are the champions for the service mesh in the organization. Right. So have some some small team. It's their responsibility to kind of become the experts in service mesh. They're the advocates and they're all, they should also be the ones that are experiencing that pain. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, have 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 a, a group of champions um, in your organization. The, the third tip was just make sure you invest time in the learning curve. So, you know, there there is a lot here and it's it might, it could be pretty easy just to spin stuff up but not really understand like what's going on and it could come back to bite you. So, you oh. definitely need to invest the time in yeah. and, and learn it. So, just make that commitment to it. The fourth tip was you know, only expose a small subset of configuration to the developers that are using it. And so this we, we've touched on this before where service meshes are really kind of anti-DevOps in that they're so complicated, they're, there's so much configuration, there's su- such a big learning curve with them that you need kind of dedicated teams to use and to manage these things. And so it's kind of splitting back up. Dev and ops, so that you really kind of have a dedicated ops team that's responsible for it, and the developers are just not able to spend the cycles and make the investment to learn about that. So Zach's point here was like, don't overwhelm your developers with the service mesh. Instead, err on the side of giving them giving them less information to swallow and give it to them in spoonfuls at a time, and really so that there's less pushback. 
from the developers. And so an example you gave is like if you're if you're just trying to solve, you know, traffic management in the system and that's what you're using the mesh for, then only give the developers the, you know, tell them about like the one file where they need to go change like the virtual service configuration to affect that traffic management for an, for an application that they're building. So that their their view of the service mesh is like, oh, there's this config file, this YAML file. And I go in and this is where I put my service entry. And so it's it's not intimidating and, and a big learning curve for them. And then the the last trait here is the just the concept of you're in it for the long haul. Like once you make this this move to the service mesh and you start incorporating it into your overall system architecture, you know, it's 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 a pretty big component of it. And you're you're you know, you're this is not something that it's gonna be, you know, one, it's not easy to to integrate it into your system, and then conversely, it's not gonna be easy to pull it out. So right. just realize that this is a, a long haul investment that you're gonna have um, in your system. Yep, it's it's the old lock-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely service mesh lock-in. Yeah. Most likely Istio lock-in as well. well just like, I mean, just like, you ahead. know, any of these systems like Kubernetes, yeah. right? Like if you're using Kubernetes to run your containers, like it's going to be really hard to switch to something else. Yeah, totally. Actually, I, I was like, is it really? Because imagine you have Kubernetes sort of, sort of you're overbuilt and you just have a few containers that you're running in Kubernetes and those are all, those are all in Docker. And if they're not that complex, but you just are running them in Kubernetes, it may not be that hard hard to switch them over to say ECS. But yeah, if you're if you've got a big system for, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we could probably um talk about this quite a bit and it just just depends on like what folks are used to. I mean, I'm sure like like we see ECS as being pretty simple and straightforward as doing it, but like someone yeah. from the Kubernetes world's like, "Wait a minute, what's a launch configuration, mm-hmm. a auto scale group and how do those get tied into it? And like what's a task def- task definition file and Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a whole other, you know, just lingo and way of doing things. Um, sure. So sure. even if you have a simple system, it still might be quite a bit of work. Yeah, good point. All right, well, thank you so much. I know, you know, I, at this point, the cool thing is, and all of our listeners have the same thing, hopefully, is like, while I may not be poised to use a Istio in the future or a service mesh in the near future, as they progress and new things happen to them, uh, I won't be left out in the cold. Like, I'll be able to speak the language a little bit. So that's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you to Zach Butcher as well for this talk at DockerCon. All right, Chris, Rich, we'll catch you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 62. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.